0: Amen. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. We, He has brought us to this place. We don't want to go back. He has brought us to a place of trusting Him and being uh, obedient to Him. If you take your Bibles, and we're going to look at one of the greatest examples in all of Scripture, of someone trusting Jesus. Don't you love that song? Tis so sweet to do what? Trust in Jesus. Jesus, and what a great, uh, great job our worship leaders have done this morning, and we're so thankful for all of them in all of our different venues, and they do a tremendous job allowing us to just share from our hearts to the Lord our need to trust in Him, and so now let's, uh, let's learn how to trust Him better, because in reality, our trust is our success in the Lord. God doesn't judge success the way we judge it. You know, over the last uh, 20, 30 years, we've seen kind of a remarkable trend. I, I doubt that this happened earlier in the 1900s, that you would have 20-year-olds that were billionaires. But with the tech industry and Facebook and Zuckerberg and, and uh, characters like that who entered into the, just as college students, entered into the, the high-tech realm... They turned it around and just within a matter of years became multi-multi-millionaires, even billionaires. And it, it's kind of shocking sometimes to see uh, these companies made up of 20-somethings just uh, rolling in success, rolling in earthly success and money. Can you imagine how shocking it would have been to have a teenage Jewish exile slave sitting at the right hand of the most powerful Gentile king in history, Nebuchadnezzar. And you wonder, how did Daniel, as this young man, maybe 18, 19, 20 years old, he's just fresh out of the University of Babylon, looking for his first job as a wise man, as as one of those that were educated in the ways of the Babylonians. He came out with all of the scientific knowledge all of the language skills all of the literature knowledge he had had his probably two to three year training period and we think that chapter two begins after it had ended so here he is coming out just like all these folks will graduate from the university of florida they'll coming out looking for their dream job now daniel in this chapter lands his dream job pun totally intended if you know anything about chapter two Because in chapter 2, Daniel is going to interpret a dream, and it is going to be the source of his promotion to this incredible level in charge of all the wise men, all the people who knew everything. This would be like him being elevated to the president of all the university presidents. How did he get there? By faith. By trust. He had a lot of skill. He had a lot of confidence, like I was talking about last week. He had a lot of ability. He had come through with flying colors. If, if I had graduated, I'd know what all the th- terms are. I, don't, I, didn't, I wasn't cum laude or summa cum laude. I don't know all of those things. I just know he was whatever it is that's at the top. It says that he came out better than all the rest. He and his three friends, his three friends, these Jewish men were at the top of their class but it was by their faith in God that they achieved success. Now, here's what's interesting. The Bible, before we see this picture of success and how he built a bridge to success, I want us to define true success. We got it all messed up and mixed up. And it's easiest for us to fall into the trap and think that the riches of a Bill Gates or the achievements of some of our athletic stars and all these things and the, the size of the business or the company that is being built we, those are earthly successes no doubt without doubt they are but what does god see as true success hebrews 11:6 says this without faith it is impossible to do what to please him Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You build a company without faith, that doesn't please God. You build a church without faith, you don't please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. What does faith mean? Faith means that you, are, you draw near to God and you believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Daniel had faith. Look at Hebrews 11:32. Now, stay in Daniel 2. I've got Daniel 2. I've got all these verses up here. Just, this is just kicking us off into the story. Watch this. He's describing people that God saw as truly truly successful. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, And Samuel. How many of you recognize a a couple of those names? Okay. Old Testament folks, right? They please God because of their faith. And then he says in the prophets. And he lists what these prophets do. Now, what do we know prophets do? Prophets talk. Prophets speak. Prophets declare truth. But these prophets didn't just declare the truth. They lived the truth. They quenched the uh, verse thirty three: Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Who do you think that is? Daniel. They quenched the power of fire. We'll see that in the coming weeks. They he escaped or they escaped the edge of the sword. Were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Now, here's what's interesting. This is not going to f- sound very successful with American ears. But still, this is God's hall of fame, hall of success. People who lived by faith. But it says in the second part of verse 35 some of these who lived by faith were what? They were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life, meaning they were killed. But God said, that's a success. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, destitute. That would never be considered successful Here, but it's considered truly successful when that destitution is a result of your faithfulness and faith in God. Afflicted, mistreated, and of, the, and of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in the den, <laughs> in the dens and the caves of the earth. That's the series title, In the Den. You and I are in our own dens. We face the lions of today. Our testings, our temptations of our own flesh, of our own mind. We're facing the lions of of fear and terror and uh, humanism, secularism, materialism, all sorts of isms. We are facing all of these things. And God says in chapter 11 of Hebrews that we conquer those things... And are truly successful by and through what? Faith. Faith. Therefore, this entire series is really showing how to live a life of faith in the lion's den. And chapter 2 is where God promotes Daniel and he brings him to this great promotion, this great level of a success in a, in a world that hated his people he was, he was brought to this great success and he was brought there, and you'll see this, by faith. So let me just define true success. A life lived by God's principles and for God's glory. Because it doesn't have anything to do with, you don't, you don't put the results on that in terms of finances or how long you live or how easy your life is. True success in the eyes of God, faith is believing in God, living by his principles For his glory and not your own. At the end of chapter two, God gets the glory, Daniel gets the promotion. That's the end of the story. But But the charge of this to the people of Israel who first read this book from the prophet Daniel was we're still stuck in Babylon. We're still under the Roman Empire. And we're reading this book, and it's telling us trust God, have faith in God, maintain his principles, live that way for his glory. Trust God, and He will bring you to true success. you believe that, say amen. All right, so now we're going to see an incredible movie. And I'm going to try to take you through this movie drama. I mean, the whole first six books, the whole book of Daniel is like watching a movie. I mean, it's really fun to read. You ought to read it. Say amen if you read your Bible. All right, so read your Bible. Read Daniel. It reads like a wonderful drama. And I'm going to try to walk it through in about 15 minutes. And here's what I'm going to do after that. I'm going to give you some applications to walk away with. And then we're going to celebrate communion together. Verse 1 of chapter 2. This is really scene 1. Scene 1 I've entitled, Sleepless in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar can't sleep. Look at verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, well, one of the reasons he might be struggling to sleep is, in the second year, your honeymoon is over. You ever started a new job? You know, and you kind of get in there. You've been the new king. Now he's got some people that are rising up against him. He's got these subjected countries, and he's getting all the headaches of being the emperor, the biggest emperor in the world. He's facing some of those, and here's what he's worried about. He's worried about his future. And there's some dream that he really can't get his hands around. He he knows some of it, but he just can't really remember the whole dream. And he certainly doesn't know what it means, but he, he has this foreboding sense that it doesn't end well. Can I just tell you here, I think that's the foreboding sense of the people of planet Earth. It's a foreboding sense sort of in the back of the mind and the hearts of the people in America right now. Something's not going well and it doesn't look like it's going to end well. Now we want to be positive and we want to be hopeful and there are, some, there, there are great things that could happen. God could bring revival but I think in the spirits of those people in particular who don't know God, who are far from God, they know in the back of their minds this is not going to end well. Well, Nebuchadnezzar's having this dream, and he's just struggling, and his sleep left him. You ever been there? Verse 2. Then the king commanded that the magicians... That's the first thing I do. I call a magician when I can't sleep. (laughs) Then the king commanded that the magician, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, sorcerers, astrologers occultists, conjurers of the dead. All the folks that you know were there, this was how they figured stuff out back in the day. Some people are still living by that now. There are still people looking for answers in all the wrong places. And so he calls them in. They're used to being called in. This was a regular thing. This was part of their job. This is what many of them had existed for decades to do, to come in, counsel the and the pagan folks believed and by the way I believe this too that god speaks to people especially in the pagan world through dreams and we've got some illustration of that I want to share with you at another time but they believed the gods were sharing in the dream and so they'd be bringing these folks and they'd tell the dreams and they'd interpret it as to what would happen in the future the king said i'm not going to this is so serious i'm so concerned I'm not going to do it their way. I'm going to do it my way. And uh, he kind of plays, let's make a deal. Here's the deal. Verse 5. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be demoted. You'll get a cut and pay. You'll be cut all right. You'll be torn limb From limb. Not just you, your families, your houses. I'm just going to obliterate all memory of you. Now, they were pretty confident when they walked in a moment before. They said, All right, tell us the dream. He said, No, 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 none of that. You tell me my dream and you tell me what it means. Then I'll know this is not your conjuring. This is not your idea. You're not just trying to pacify me and kill time. In fact, he even says that. (laughs) Look at. Look at um, verse 7. They answered a second time and said, Hold on. Let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty you're trying to kill time. This is a delay tactic because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. Take me seriously, he says. You've agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Let me interpret that. He says, you're just going to confuse me and tell me whatever you think I want to hear until it just kind of goes away, I change my mind, or something else important comes along. I know your delay tactics. You better tell me the dream right now. And I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. So all of these wise men, they go into full-blown panic mode. Here's why. They had never; It was never done that way. Verse 10, the Chaldeans answered and said, There is not a man on earth who could meet this king's demands. No great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. You, they're just kind of whining, aren't they? No one asked their wise man to do it this way, Nebuchadnezzar. No one. You're the first. This doesn't work this way. The thing that the king asks is difficult, verse 11, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with the flesh. You're asking something only God could tell you and he's not here in the flesh. I don't know about you, but to me, I go right to the New Testament where our God became flesh and revealed the truth. I mean, they accidentally spoke truth. Accidentally. You're right. We needed God to become flesh, dwell among us and declare his truth. And we beheld his glory. So, that was scene one. Scene two. A rookie wise man at the end of the bench saves the day. Daniel comes off the bench and saves the day. Um, Verse 13, so the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. They weren't even in the first meeting because they didn't even qualify to this point. They were, they were way down the, the field being first year students, first year wise men. Then Daniel, but look at verse 14. Folks, this is what we need desperately. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion. Or wisdom and tact. Wouldn't you give anything to see a little bit of wisdom and tact in our culture? Poise and prudence. People no longer speak to one another with any civility or humility. And part of Daniel's secret, we saw it in in chapter 1, we see it in chapter 2, is when he approached his authorities and the people that disagreed with him, when he wanted to make a difference with with God, he didn't come in waving banners and shouting everything. He came in with humility, civility, poise, but he also came in with an answer. He came in with a plan. So he came in, he said, listen, I got to ask a question. Verse 15, he declared to Eric, the king's captain, and he said... What is the rush? Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. So Daniel took this incredibly brave step. He acted. He walked in, said, I, can I have an appointment with the king in the, in the morning? Let me have an appointment with the king. They said, all right, Daniel. All right, Daniel. Now, we see a prayer meeting. Next scene, a prayer meeting. Verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house, made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, his companions... And they made a bold plan of escape out of Babylon. They made a plan of attack to get rid of Nebuchadnezzar. No. He told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. He told them to pray. To pray. Daniel was prepared like everybody else. He was poised. But what gave him the answer was he prayed. He went to his knees. He didn't went, He didn't go to the panic room. He went to the prayer room. And that'd save us a lot of trouble. So he prays. And it says in verse 19, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Then he goes into a a, a praise. But I love that the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. He spoke to Nebuchadnezzar in a dream. I know why he couldn't speak to Daniel in a dream. Daniel couldn't sleep. He couldn't sleep, and he was praying. He was praying, and God came to him in a vision, gave him the dream that Nebuchadnezzar was, had been dreaming, and in the vision, got the interpretation of of the dream. God, as Daniel was saying a while ago, God is always faithful. We just got to be faithful to pray. We're walking around confused. We're walking around in a mystery. We walk around defeated mainly because we don't take any time to pray. And Daniel, before he used all of his wisdom, all of his degrees, all of the things he had learned at UB, before he brought all of that to bear, he went to the prayer room. And he didn't go alone. He got his three buddies. He says, we're going to get on our face before God and seek the answers that we need. I pray God would just put that spirit in all of us, that we would pray. Verses 20 through 23, he prays and he praises God. And in this praise, he kind of reveals what is at the foundation of his bridge to success, what underlies his bridge, what supports it all. Listen, listen to his prayer of praise, and you'll see what he believes in. Daniel answered and said, "'Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, "'to whom belong wisdom and might.'" God changes the times and seasons. God removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding.'" God reveals deep and hidden things. God knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells in him. So to you, O God of my fathers, I give you thanks and you praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have, known, have now made known to me what we asked of you for you have made known to us the king's matter. And he turns and does what we should do every time is give God the glory because he trusted God as the provider of wisdom, trusted God. To give him an answer. Scene three. Scene three. Daniel takes the thorn out of the lion's paw. Y'all remember that little golden book? When I was a kid, I remember that little, it was just a few years ago. I I had it, (laughs) and I could just see the little mouse became the friend of a lion because the mouse, he was small enough to get to that thorn. And take it out of the lion's ball. He should have been consumed. He should have been a snack before the main course. But because of who he was, he was able to get out the thorn. And the lion became his friend and protector. That's exactly what happens here. Daniel is given the ability by God to go right to the king's problem, remove the thorn for the glory of God. Now, let me just kind of fly over this. We're not going to get into the details of this vision because we're going to return to this vision in a few weeks. We'll see it in another form. In this form, it's a statue. He says, okay, great king, here's your dream. You saw a statue, and this statue had descending metals. It was made of descending metals. It was in the form of sort of a a human. It had a head made of gold. Uh, Shoulders and arms made of silver, a little less expensive than gold. Then you'll have a a waist and and thighs of bronze, just like mine, and the lower legs of iron. Y'all with me? Just making sure you're with me. Lower legs. I'm glad I don't have to watch myself on TV. This would be kind of embarrassing. I'm up here. Lower legs of iron. And then the feet are a mixture of iron and clay. And we could walk through this today, but this is what it turns out. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, let me tell you, at the end of this dream, I know what's disturbing you. At the end of this dream, there's a little rock that comes out of a mountain without human hands. And this little rock grows and it comes and smashes into this this thing. And you're thinking at the beginning of the dream, hey, that's a nice statue. Hey, that looks a little bit like me. This is good. This is good. Boom. That's not good. A little dirt ball, ball of dirt, just taken out of the mountain, rolls, and and, and it grows, and we'll see this. It grows, and it wipes out all the majestic kingdoms of man. And I know that disturbs you, King Nebuchadnezzar. You think that's bad, let me give you the interpretation. That head of gold is you. You are the greatest. You're the greatest king there is right now. And there are four more empires coming, right? There's going to be an empire after you, an empire after that, an empire there. And then at the very end, there's going to be this this mixture of empires, feet of clay. And there's going to be another kingdom that's going to come, and it's from God. And this kingdom is going to destroy all earthly kingdoms, including yours, O great King Nebuchadnezzar. And God is going to establish... A kingdom that will last forever. Let me read that verse for you. It says in verse 44, he's interpreting the dream. Verse 44, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. This person was 19 years old standing before Nebuchadnezzar. He would make uh, all of our current day presidents and all of those guys look like total lightweights. And instead of trembling, he spoke boldly and clearly the truth of God's Word. How did he do that? Daniel did that by faith. By faith, he didn't know what was going to happen. He just trusted God, prayed for the vision, proclaimed the truth. He didn't know if he'd be sawn into, thrown into the fire, thrown to the lions. He had no idea. He just knew that God had sovereignly, providentially placed him before the king with the truth. What a life of faith. The king's response, scene four. The final scene, God gets the glory, Daniel gets his dream job. Verse 46, the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face, and he doesn't quite get it. We're going to see Nebuchadnezzar sort of move towards an understanding of God right now. He pays homage to Daniel. Daniel's the only one that gave the glory to God at this point, but he pays homage to Daniel, commanded that an offering and incense be offered to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, and you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then king, the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon now watch this isn't this, the, isn't this the plan of God? Because of his faith and belief in God, because of his preparation, his poise, his prayer, his willingness to proudly and boldly proclaim the truth, he is ushered in, he's built a bridge to success, but then he reaches out and he brings others with him. look at verse 49 Daniel made a request of the king he's cashing in his chips. I know I just got this new job. But I got these friends. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You mind giving them some good jobs too? So he appointed them over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Do you see the bridge? Do you see the path that he took? It was built on the principles of God for the glory of God while having faith in God. Let me give you four applications. Number one, can I just tell you, this vision shows us that God has your future in His hands. Your future is in the hands of God. Just like Daniel's was, He is sovereignly in control of your life Daniel was not God's favorite over you. And you're thinking, I wish God loved me as much as he loved Daniel or cared about me as much as he cared about Daniel. My Bible tells me he cares about all of us. And he has placed you in your place. You may not be uh, the president of UF or you may not be the president of the United States, but God may have put you in that home. He may have given you influence over your grandchildren. He may have put you leading that life group or singing in that choir or preaching in this pulpit. We're all called to walk by faith. And God controls our lives and he's got your future in his hands. Second, people desperately need the biblical understanding you possess. They desperately need what you know as followers of Christ. You say, I don't know the Bible. I don't have a seminary degree. You don't need a seminary degree to tell them the ultimate mystery of life. God revealed himself in Christ who died on a cross for your sin, rose from on the third day and wants to give you the forgiveness and eternal life. You know what people desperately, desperately desire. And there's all sorts of layers of things between you and them and them accepting that, but that's not... You just proclaim the truth. There is a King of kings and Lord of lords and he wants to have a relationship with you. Thirdly, did you see that God's help is available if you ask? God's help is available to you just like it was to Daniel. God's help is available. Three things that Daniel did. He prayed intensely. He acted wisely. And he shared the truth boldly. Those three things. God loves to get behind people who pray... Who will act and obey and who will share his truth? He is just offering his help. That's your bridge to success. Pray intensely, but act wisely. How many times have we prayed, but we don't act? How many times have we acted and done stuff without praying? And we undercut our actions without praying, and we just waste our prayers by not acting. And so he put the two of those things together, and God God shut the mouths of lions. God opened the doors to Nebuchadnezzar. And finally, can I just encourage you with this? The vision shows us what we know as followers of Christ, the kingdom of Christ, will prevail. It will prevail. We saw it. It began with Jesus. Listen to what Mark 1 says. Now, after John was arrested, John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Jesus walks in several hundred years after Daniel said, that that little rock, that little stone is going to come out of Israel and he's going to start. That's the kingdom. It's going to grow. And here it starts. Jesus starts walking around Galilee, this little Nazarene carpenter. He starts walking around. He says, the time is here. The time is here. The time that you heard about in Daniel is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Here's how you access it. The invitation is still open today. Repent and believe the gospel. And he started preaching. He started preaching. For three years, he preached. And then he told his disciples, he said, guys... You may may not understand this, but the kingdom of God is not the way you think of it. This this Messiah has to die. I'm going to have to build a new covenant made up of new people. And you're going to have to be born of the Spirit to be a part of this kingdom. Not born of just Jewish blood or Gentile blood, you've got to be born of the Spirit. And to do that, I'm going to have to go to a cross. I'm going to have to die. And if you grew up church, maybe you know the story. Jesus, his disciples said, no, that's not the kingdom we want. We want what we saw in Daniel. We want you to grow up, take a big army, and smash all the Roman kings. We want political. We want all of that. He says, no, 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 no. You're not going to understand this completely for a little bit but I'm going to institute something for you to remember me by. I want you to do this. And so the day before his crucifixion, he gathered them in an upper room, as they would have normally done around Passover, to share a Passover meal. And, And he took the bread and the wine, the bread, he took what they would normally use to look backwards, to look back at the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the people wandering in the wilderness. He took that and he said, this is a new covenant. And I want you, as a, you believers in, in Side in Gainesville, I want you to do this regularly to remember what I did for you and to remember my kingdom will prevail. And he took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my what? You remember? He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Then he took the cup and he passed it around. He he said, this cup is the new covenant in what? My blood. Take this into yourself because I'm going to be able to enter into your life. My spirit can come into your heart and your life and give you... New birth, new life. I'll come dwell with you. And my kingdom will start to spread. And those 12 disciples sitting in that upper room had no idea there'd be, what, 400 disciples sitting here in the second service in Gainesville, thousands of miles away, 2,000 years later. The kingdom is growing, it's becoming a mountain, and his kingdom will prevail. Here's a question. Will you repent and believe? You want to be a part of that kingdom? It is a kingdom you access through faith. You trust him. You open up your heart and you just come to Christ. He's alive. He resurrected from the dead on the the third day. His invitation is here. He says, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, you open up your heart. You turn from your sin and you receive me like a gift. Believe. Believe. Some of you here this morning, you don't need to take the Lord's Supper. That's a symbolic act of something you need to do first. You need to trust Christ and ask him to come into your heart, literally, and into your life. Have you done that? I'm gonna pray before we take the Lord's Supper and invite you to do that. If you're already a follower of Christ, you've trusted Christ, then this is just a symbol of that wonderful truth that you are now in him. You're part of his kingdom. Let's pray together. With every head bowed and eye closed, just a time of meditation, Paul says to prepare our hearts for this. If there's any sin between you and God that you just need to get right, would you take just a moment of reflection and confession? if there are those in this room that have never placed their trust in Christ, if you've never invited him in to forgive you of your sin, if you've never received him as your Lord and your Savior, if you'd like to do that right now, can I just guide you in this simple prayer? You can just turn to God right now. If you want to receive Christ, just maybe say these words, Heavenly Father, Thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus as a sacrifice for me. I ask for the forgiveness of my sin. And I ask that you be the Lord of my life. Thank you.